You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. As we're studying the New Testament book of Acts, today we're going back into Acts chapter 2. Let me give you some background so you'll know exactly what just happened. As we know so far, Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried, but on the third day he rose from death and spent the next 40 days evidencing his resurrection by meeting with different individuals and groups of people over those 40 days. As he was about to ascend back into heaven, Jesus told his disciples about the mission they were to go on. They were to be his witnesses. Starting from where they were in Jerusalem, throughout the region, and into every nation. Obviously, that wasn't just for them. They couldn't make it into every nation during their lifetime. So the mission extends to us. So he told them to go out and be witnesses to the good news of all that he had accomplished. But they had to wait. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit. They didn't know how long it would be. But they didn't just wait. While they waited, they gathered. They prayed. They prepared themselves. They prepared their future leadership for whenever Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. It turned out to be 10 days. And at the end of those 10 days, the Holy Spirit has now, has now come upon them in power. We saw that last week. That's called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was an existing holiday in, among the Jewish people. It was a religious festival centered around the temple in Jerusalem, where devout Jews from all over the Middle East would have gathered. As these many worshipers descended upon the capital city of Jerusalem, it is here at this exact time that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Jesus' disciples. At this point, they numbered about 120, and they were all filled with the Spirit. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in known languages, the languages that represented the native tongues of all of the worshipers. So imagine if you're from Iran, Turkey, Syria, Rome, North Africa, Egypt, Arabia, and all parts of Israel, and you heard for the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in your language. And so this amazing scene has now unfolded. It's chaotic. It's confusing. There are those who are observing this scene, and they're convinced that there is something supernatural happening here. As in every crowd, there are also cynics watching this unfold. And they have come to the conclusion that these rural Galileans are not filled with the Holy Spirit, but merely drunk. And then there are those who are just plain confused. They don't know what to make of this. So in the midst of that chaos, the apostle Peter stands up and begins to preach. And I want you to see as we begin that in the unfolding, the revealing of the Spirit's plan, the first thing that happens is that they are pointed to Scripture. You know, there seems to be a pattern here. Remember back in chapter 1 when it came to choosing Judas's replacement, what did Peter do first? He goes back to the scriptures. And you know what? Peter was doing just what he saw the Lord Jesus always doing, pointing people back to the Bible. That's a pattern for us. 
This is God's word for us. This is truth. You see, it's not scripture and. Like scripture and science we follow. The sciences are finally catching up with the Bible. It's not scripture and archaeology that we hold as equals. The archaeology is finally catching up with the Bible and proving it's true all the more. It's not scripture and culture. Culture should not be informing the Bible and the church. We believe in the authority of scripture, period. So here's our story. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So now Peter is going to explain exactly what happened through the lens of the Bible. And let me say, number one, spirit-empowered worship is about the Bible. And what is the Bible all about? Jesus. Do you remember what he told the Pharisees in John chapter 5? He said, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus is saying, the Bible, it's all about me. Know this, that all of the Old Testament, which would have been all they had, that's all the scriptures they had at the time, all of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has just told them that he's going to be sending the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a fulfillment from the Old Testament, and in this case, the prophet Joel. So Peter goes on by then quoting Joel. He says, in the last days, God says. Now, over and over in the New Testament, there is a reference to Jesus and the last days. And and every time we are directed to understand that Jesus ushered in the last days. So that means we've been living in the last days for for the last 2,000 years. He continues, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You're going to see, it doesn't matter if those people are male or female. It doesn't matter if they're young or old. It doesn't matter if they are socially poor or prestigious. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then this line, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We talked about this last week. You cannot call out to him unless he's drawn you to him. You cannot call out to him unless you've genuinely had a heart change. You see, these aren't just mere words like, yeah, I called out to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I don't believe you're real, but that part about being saved, well, I might as well cover all my bases. These can't be just words. But if you truly feel a 
tug in your heart, act on it. That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is, it's a promise. You will be saved. You will become part of the forever family. So let me ask, have you called out to the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? So what we're seeing on this first Pentecost day is that Peter takes in this scene that's unfolding before him, this controversial, chaotic, confusing scene, and he explains it through the lens of the Bible. And let me say this, the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, has several roles, but here's two primary ones. First of all, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit recorded the words of the Bible. And Scripture teaches us that those words are the very words of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed, that's the inspiration part, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires the Bible. But the Holy Spirit also illuminates the Bible. The Holy Spirit works among those who belong to Jesus in such a way that when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, when we speak and preach the Bible, when we hear the Bible, the Bible makes sense. Now, that doesn't mean we understand it all. Not even the disciples understood it all. Peter even said this about Paul's writings. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I agree. But what Peter is doing here is he's taking these these unusual circumstances surrounding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he's using the Bible to interpret that experience. And that's important to know. You see, we we don't interpret the Bible through the lens of our own experience. Instead, we allow the Bible to interpret our experience. I'll give you an example. There are many people, some in this room, who didn't have a father. Or they had a father, but that father was not a good father. He was harsh, critical, maybe even absent. And if that's you, and and you read where it says that God is a father, you're like, no thanks. The last thing I want is an overbearing, can't do enough to please, absent kind of divine being. Now, the reason we would do this is because we live in a very confusing world. We have such a distorted perspective that the Bible teaches that everyone who was born after Adam and Eve, okay, that's pretty much everyone, everyone is contaminated with sin and has rebellion toward God. And the result of our sin is that we live in a distorted reality. And not only is our reality distorted, but the demonic spirits that exist can take those supernatural experiences and use them to confuse us. And what we ultimately need, what we ultimately need, we need God to speak from his perspective about what's reality, what's true, what's important. And that's what Peter is exactly trying to do here. When Peter quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what he means is, this is what the Bible said would happen. The prophet Joel, whom Peter quotes, lived some 700 years 
prior to this experience. And Peter is saying that is exactly what the Bible said would happen. He's saying all that God has promised his people is fulfilled today in the Holy Spirit being poured out. And did you notice the Holy Spirit isn't restrictive? He isn't gender specific because men and women are prophesying. He isn't restricted to categories of socioeconomic class because servants as well as those who are wealthy are filled with the Holy Spirit. In addition, the Holy Spirit isn't restricted simply to those who are older because he is working in and filling those who are young as well. And Peter takes it a step further. You're going to see that spirit-empowered worship isn't just biblical. It's also Christ-centered. Peter continues, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In other words, Peter is speaking to those who actively, physically saw Jesus. They saw Jesus feed 5,000 with a boy's lunch. They saw Jesus heal in a miraculous way. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead, things that no human being has ever done. Peter continues, this man, again, speaking of Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Now, if you thought the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders were in charge when Jesus was murdered, when Jesus was crucified, Peter's saying, no, this was all part of God's plan. And you, he says, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But... God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, and now Peter's going to quote from Psalm 16. Again, he points out scripture. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And after he quotes David in Psalm 16, Peter says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David, King David, died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Again, Peter is saying, this passage from Psalm 16 written by David can't be about David because David didn't rise from the grave. David's bones are still in the tomb, and we can go there and visit. Peter says, look, it's not about David, but he was a prophet. And knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. What Peter is saying is, David was given knowledge of all of this a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. Peter continues, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life 
We are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, now here, Peter is quoting Psalm 110, and he is led to understand that what David is saying is this, the Lord God said to my Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Peter continues with his Bible teaching, and now he's focused on Jesus because spirit-empowered worship is biblical, but spirit-empowered worship has a destination, and that destination ultimately falls upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Peter is saying to this crowd that's gathered, that's watching these phenomenal things happen, the spirit's outpouring, the ability of, uh, of all of these rural Galileans to all of a sudden speak in other languages, the bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of this is all about Jesus. And again, he works from the Bible to emphasize the very essence of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus walked among us. Jesus performed amazing deeds. You saw it all with your very eyes. And Jesus was unjustly executed. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He's risen. And he's now at the right hand of the Father God. And he has sent the Holy Spirit. You see what the people are witnessing. It's the absolute proof that Jesus is who he said he was. He's God. That's why they put him to death. He wasn't murdered for all the miracles he performed or the way he cared for people. He was killed because he kept saying he was God. Now, some people would want to debate this. He never said he was God. While it's true that Jesus never used those exact words, I am God, he did, however, make the claim to be God in many different ways, and those who heard him knew exactly what he was saying. For example, in John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now, the Jews who heard that statement knew all too well that he was claiming to be God. How do you know? Look at their reaction. The next verse, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And then when Jesus asked why they were attempting to stone him, they said, for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus is who he said he was. He's God. And ultimately, if we're going to preach the Bible, if we're going to proclaim Jesus because if every sermon and every message doesn't end up on the person and work of Jesus, it's not spirit-empowered. It's something else. It's merely principled living at best. You know, like, be a good person or just, just try your best. You need to understand. The Bible isn't a book of principles to live by. The Bible is a book about the person to live for. Do you see the difference? But wait, there's more. Because not only is spirit-empowered worship biblical, not only is spirit-empowered worship Christ-centered, 
Spirit-empowered worship is, are you ready for this? Confrontational. Here's the next line. Peter said, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow. Peter goes for it. He, he cuts loose. He spent the previous verses extolling Jesus, elevating Jesus, talking about how Jesus isn't just any man. He's the God man. Jesus couldn't be contained by death. Jesus rose from the grave. And then he goes as far as to say that the God of the Bible has given Jesus the title of both Lord, that is, he's ruler of all, and Christ. That means he's the anointed one, the promised one. So if you're listening to Peter's sermon, you're getting caught up in the greatness of Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's like Peter hits you in the stomach and he says, this amazing Jesus, yeah, you killed him. It's as if Peter says, I want you to take a time out. I want you to go sit in the corner and I want you to think about that, mister. You killed Jesus. Spirit-empowered Worship is confrontational. But by that, I, I don't mean that it's meant to beat you down, to discourage you, to, to make you feel hopeless. But it's meant to be transformational. To make you want to do and be something different. And the only way that worship can be transformational is if it proclaims first and foremost Jesus and his greatness and glory. And at the same time, reveals to us where our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes are out of line with the person and work of Jesus. And this is all for us. This isn't about any of us, and Peter would have said the same thing. This isn't about any of us being any better or different than anyone else who heard the sermon that day or who hears this sermon today. It's just that we are to understand that we are all called to deal with the discrepancy that exists between the greatness of Jesus and the way you and I live life daily. So here's the big idea. By design, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God moves us to action. We have to make a decision. So again, I have to ask, do you know Jesus do you love Jesus? You see, what our culture so desperately needs to hear is exactly what the listeners in Jerusalem heard. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. He is the anointed one to bring about God's plan of redemption. That redemption happens because Jesus is on a rescue mission to change your heart and mind to change your attitude and perspective, to give you a freedom and a new start, to offer you forgiveness and eternal life. And it's all made possible by the blood of Jesus who died in our place for our sins. And the last thing I want you to see in this sermon of Peter's, the last characteristic that I believe defines spirit-empowered worship is this. Spirit-empowered worship is impactful. Here's our last verse. Luke, the author of the book, tells us when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
This is the impact of spirit-empowered worship. It goes right to the heart. Suddenly, we are confronted with the reality that we have to do something. And what we have to do is leave here different than the way you came in because you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. My hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, will do a work in your heart so that much like these first hearers, you are pierced to the heart. Maybe it's as if you understand Jesus for the first time. You understand the glory and greatness of Jesus, and you see, as if for the very first time, that it's your sin, it's your rebellion that he died for. Now, all of this, the biblical, Christ-centered, transformational, impactful, spirit-empowered worship is going to bring about an evangelism explosion. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.